This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. This is Adam Francis, and you're listening to the Equipped Indoor Podcast on the E2E Radio Network. Stand by for a great show. Hey guys, welcome back for another great episode of the Equipped Indoor Podcast, episode 412 with your host Adam Francis, Robert Oliver, and Dan Eastland. And we're back, guys, after a uh, good couple weeks of internet and equipment misfortune. And so we're getting ready to do a great podcast today. I pick up my headset and it explodes in my hands. So right now, thank gosh, I always carry some uh, Gorilla Tape. So Robbie, if you hear my microphone kind of flopping around, it's because my the headset's broken right on the left side, um, kind of where the size adjusts, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of depressing. I thought you were going to say it was going to sound like a gorilla. No, yeah. I wish it was going to sound like a gorilla. It, and it's weird because, you know, you use that nice snug headset, you know, on your ears, you know, that, that feeling that it's nice and tight. And it's not. I, I can, like, feel it, like, all wobbly. It's, it's kind of distracting. So that's already <laughs> too much information. But, guys, how have you been doing? It's been a couple of weeks since we've been on. And I'm sure a lot's going on. Rob, let's start with you. you I know you have some uh, some exciting things going on in your world. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. We had the storm of the century here. Uh, let's see, destroyed the house. Uh, need a new roof on the house, new siding, new back deck. Busted out windows. Totaled my truck. Totaled it. That A hailstorm that totals a truck. Yeah, so did, what was the estimate for how much it's going to cost to fix your truck? I, I think it was like nine or ten thousand. And we're not talking about a Geo Metro here. No. Um, it, nine or 10000 but the way the insurance company does it, if it's like over 70% of the value, mm-hmm. then then it's totaled. They're done. That's crazy, man. That sucks. Well, anything good come out of uh, any of this last recent couple weeks? Found a house uh, closer to where my wife's uh, job is, so we may be moving soon. Nice. We've got a bid in on the house, and... Uh, it was accepted, so now it's all up to the broker and lawyers and bankers and all the big people to tell us little people what can, where we can live and what we can do. Well, nothing <laughs> bad could happen from that. <laughs> no, no, no way with with lawyers and and bankers involved, anything negative could possibly happen. Well, all the bad luck here recently, you got to have some good luck in there. Yeah, I'm paying into I'm paying into the uh, uh, karma pool. Actually, I that's that's what's kept me. Uh, pulling all my hair out was that I, I figure I'm, I'm paying in for something good yeah i hear you i hear you well well you know i think uh i saw pictures of it the place looks awesome and if they took the bid that means they seriously want to sell it to you so now you guys just got to get that process and hopefully here in 30 days you guys will be set, settling on a nice uh a nice place that place needs to be the new equipped indoor headquarters man that's what I, i'm thinking i, I got to come down there every weekend and shoot videos with you in dog training center I'm yeah. I'm excited. It's actually got a building out back that was already set up as a kennel, um, with concrete pads outside, and you know the in, inside is uh, even got a doggy wash, like a bath area, mm-hmm. and kind of like a bathtub with side that's cut out with a door on it, so the dog can just walk in. 
Mm-hmm. All right, no lifting big heavy mutts and setting them over the side or anything like that. And now that um, you got Rowdy, you're going to need that. Yeah. Well, you know what? He actually, for whatever reason, never smells that bad. Like that's because he's a that's because he's a puppy. I guess Kimba. You know, you give her a bath, and the the next day you're like, I thought I gave you a bath yesterday, but you smell kind of funky. Rowdy, on the other hand, you know, two, three weeks, four weeks go by, and you're like, you still smell like soap. Cool. Yeah. Macha put up such a, a uh, we'll just say she is hydrophobic. <laughs> uh, and you know, after the whole skunk incident. So she, re- I, she repels water? She does. Okay. But not skunk spray. So I took her down to the groomers. I took both of them down to the groomers, and they called me a couple hours later. Now, keep in mind, this is a month after she'd gotten skunk sprayed. And the groomer calls me and says, um, is there a chance that maybe your dog had gotten skunk sprayed? And I said, well, yes. Yes, there is. She goes, yeah, I, we noticed a little bit of a scent. We're going to put some deodorant on it. I kept thinking, it, how could they possibly smell it a month later? And um, after we were gone... For a couple of days, I came back to the house and realized that it was time for some spring cleaning. Mm. That you, guys I, got, you guys got nose blind to it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to understand why people quit coming over for dinner. Well, <laughs> if your dog doesn't like bath time now, yeah. having actually seen it in, in person and been there the night of the skunk incident yeah, and seen the bath that she took in like 10 degree weather. Uh, fair point. Uh, I would be afraid of baths at this point, too. <laughs> uh, did you damage your dog, Dan? Uh, yeah. Robbie's saying. You know, I damaged her less than Beth would if I had brought her in that house. The, the dog, <laughs> to, to be honest, Adam, the yeah. dog was puking from her own sense smell. Oh, really? And the other dog and any human that got close to her started gagging. So, in, in retrospect, it was the more humane of the, you know, let the dog smell that way or give her the bath. And give her the bath was the more humane thing. But, wow, I can't, I'm glad it was her, not me. That's all I can say. Oh, if it had been you, I'd just shot you. Yeah, I would have asked for it. <laughs> just shoot me, Dan. Oh, man. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Freaking skunks. Tell my wife and kids I love them. <laughs> Divide up my gear. Rosebud. You know you want to be buried with your gear just in case. Yeah, you got a point. All right. Especially well, the places I might be going. I'll wake up in a coffin going, yeah, I never have a knife when I need one. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be doing that one-inch punch thing like uh, from Kill Bill. Yeah. The five-finger death punch. Yeah. Well, no, to get out of the coffin, she was doing that one-inch punch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, Dan, don't question me on Quentin Tarantino movies ever again. Hey, I right. knew there. I knew there had to be something you were good at. <laughs> we, need, we need to send Quentin Tarantino an E two E two shirt. Mm-hmm. I've heard on the web that Quentin will actually wear any T shirt people send him. Really? And uh, a friend of a friend, my wife's cousin, I think, has some small business. Anyway, she he sent a T shirt to Quentin, and I think it was worn in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he actually sweet. wore it. Hmm. Well, that's pretty cool. But of course, now that we've released that secret, yeah. everybody's going to beat us to it. Robbie, good job. Thanks, Robert. You, you, you're in charge of the editing, dude. 
dude, I don't, I don't think I have, I don't think I have the tolerance to edit this podcast. <laughs> I already had to live through it once. You want me to listen to it again? <laughs> well, Dan, what else is going on with you besides your stinky dogs? Uh, you know, we have had numerous opportunities to overcome adversity here lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad to say that uh, everybody is getting better and things are working out. Well, good. And uh, can we go ahead and talk about the new company? Sure. All right. So oh, you need to ask your your PR manager first. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about me, I think yeah, absolutely. Let's. So the two things I've always wanted to do is make a very high quality knife, and make a knife that as many people can use as possible. Okay. And so when are you going to start that, Dan? <laughs> uh, your knife just went to the bottom of the pile, Adam. Well, you know what? That's that's my new thing. I want to see how long I can make it go. Because at one point, you're going to need me to put it in a video and show everybody it. So, you know, oh, we'll play fuck. this. We'll play this dance, sir. Ah, shoot. Um, <laughs> now want to be in the mail this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to send two knives up to you. Okay. Because uh, I've come to realize that Making knives by hand, no matter how efficient you try to be, is just slow. Yeah. Uh, so we've gotten some proven patterns from Dogwood, uh, you know, some handle geometry, some some blade geometry that just works. So we are now going to start a semi-production to a full production knife line based on the Dogwood patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is going to be called Heritage Blades. Uh, I like the name. Who came up with that? Uh, actually, um, some of the Facebook family came up with it. Okay. After a after a long list of rejected names by my PR guy and my wife, um, I finally just went to Facebook on the Dogwood page and said, "Hey, if someone was going to start a production knife company, what would be some good names?" And I like it because there there's a type of English oak called a heritage oak. Mm-hmm. So it, it keeps in line with uh, the Dogwood Custom Knives, the Heritage Oak, uh, and at least I do have a lot of association with the trustworthy and the quality of oak. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's 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 simple, you know, it's not a black walnut, but it's a good solid quality material to work with. I'm with you. I'm tracking. So is that guy going to get a, a, a sample knife? Uh, yeah, I got to work out. There's three of them that all had the same idea nearly simultaneously. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But yes, um, there will be uh, there will be some heritage sl- swag to possibly include a uh, one of the prototypes going out to him. Awesome. Uh, and we uh, we're basing the first prototype on the Echo Five. Okay. Um. And once production is in full swing, then we'll start adding some patterns. Uh, but we're going to start the, the Echo 5. Um, slightly modified, you'll see it when you get the, uh, get the prototype. I'm going to mail it out to you today. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. Well, speaking of Dogwood Customs, I guess we should do our, uh, our sponsors, right, Robbie? Would be nice. I mean, that's, that's the only thing, you know, 
Robbie's in charge of the podcast, and the only thing he ever asks me to do is, is talk about our, our uh, sponsors. And, of course, the Quick Newer podcast is brought to you by Dogwood Custom Knives. Check out Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. Dealers at USA Made Blades, Edgeworks at Edgeworks Online, and Arizona Custom Knife. And also Live Fire Gear LLC. Check us out at livefiregear.com. Hey, guys, just so you know, uh, the zipper pulls were a huge, huge hit. Uh, they are back-ordered. Um, but hopefully by the time that you hear this podcast, uh, we'll have them back. We'll have them back. Um, we had a little delay on getting the, uh, actual, uh, zipper pull clips. We ran out of them real fast. Um, so we didn't think that we needed as many as we need. So we got an order of 10,000 coming. So well, that's, not, that's a nice problem to have. Well, you mean yeah. a company could have this explosive unprepared demand and then they really have to struggle to catch up with that? It happens apparently. Wow, I can't imagine that. anything about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because you know, you know, uh, Roger and I were talking about the zipper pulls, and it was it was one of those things where, um, you know, we wanted to make it happen. We wanted to make a really economic zipper zipper pull. We figured out how to make them pretty quickly and get everything squared away. Uh, he Roger d- designs all the creative, like all the uh, like the display cards and all the other stuff and the advertising. Um, and we had a really good idea. I was like, oh, this would be cool. Um, and we were trying to make it work. Well, when we started pricing it out, it just it was really expensive because of the packaging and all that other stuff. And we're like, oh, man, I don't know if we could do this. Because at first we were going to only buy like 200 cards to do 200 sets. We didn't know how many we would have to do. And so we're we're doing the math. And I'm like, oh, man, I mean, like like this would work if we, you know, got an order of like 10,000. But if we get an order of like 200, we're losing we're losing money. And um, so we, you know, we waited to release it because we're going to release it at the beginning of the year. And then we're like, all right, let's just do it. Let's just take the chance. You know, right now we're, we're doing okay. You know, we can afford the loss um, if nobody picks these things up. And they, they pick them up and it's like, boom, everybody like wants them. And which I was kind of surprised about. And not that it's not a cool item. It's an awesome item. And I think it's like I, I put them on my coats. Yeah, it's but, a great use of the material too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But like all of like – my others that are pulled from my bags, I just use 550 fire cord because I wanted a little bit longer. Yeah. So it's it's like it's like you know, well, are people gonna use these for their coats? Or are they using for their bags? Are using for both? But you know, they're just going they're going crazy, and it's also cool to see what the popular colors are. Because at first it was like thin red line and black, and now all of a sudden like coyote. I don't know if like the the like the uh, the outdoor guys or the military guys are starting to find 550 fire cord. Um, but all of a sudden, it's like we can't keep Coyote in. And I'm talking about we're ordering, you know, 24,000 feet at a time, and it's, like, gone in no time. So it's pretty cool, man. It's very it's very neat to see those little paracord trends now that I'm in the paracord business, per se. So Per se. Per se. Anyway, but, yeah, guys, uh, we'll have some more of those here soon. I know they just got their the clips in, so they'll be back on the website. And, of course, tons of dealers. If you go to the new uh, Live Fire gear.com website uh there's actually a find a distributor and uh if you click on that there's a map of the world and you type in your address and it'll show you the closest spot where you can buy live fire from so get your 550 paracord fix and everything Uh, of course it's on amazon all over in amazon canada amazon uk and of course amazon in america we have dealers all the way in you know australia to japan all over europe I think we got our first South American dealer. I think the only continent that we're not in is, of course, Antarctica and uh, Africa. So that's two continents. Well, yeah, 
I know, but Antarctica <laughs> didn't really count. I was going to say Africa, but then I was like, you know what? If I don't say Antarctica, some you know, you know what, you know, Adam? What's up? Just to just to make that easier, you should just go ahead and mail all four people that live in Antarctica. Just go ahead and mail those four people a piece. Yeah, they're probably the people who really need it, right? <laughs> oh man, you want to talk about extreme testing? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny story. Uh, I got I had my high school reunion a few years back, and I'm you know sitting at a table talking to all these people that I used to know. And of course, you know, there's only like 20 people who came. We had a pretty large class, but everybody was a scientist. And like you guys know, I'm like a I'm a big science buff, and you know I, I was getting into science you know, professionally, but, you know, my math score, I just kind of slacked off on my math scores, and then I got, you know, started going to school for philosophy, and, and then became a cop, which is kind of weird, so I'm sitting there talking to these guys, and, um, you know, keeping up with the conversation, like, oh, like, well, where, where, what do you do, you know, what what do you, you know, what do you research, and like, oh, I'm not a scientist, I'm a cop, and they're looking at me, like, bewildered, like, really, and you're, are you, like, forensics, I'm like, no, I just, you know, I enjoy all this stuff, you know, one, one guy was a uh, mathematician. Adam Francis, science cop. Yeah, yeah. One guy was a mathematician. One guy was a marine biologist. And we had a, a physicist. And he's like, well, you're really into this, though, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I like it. And he's like, well, you know, if you really want to make some, like, really good money and you don't need a degree, but you can make, like, tons of money, like, you can go to Antarctica for six months. And I was like, really? He's like, awesome. He's like, how much do you make? He's like, like $60,000 a year. And I'm like... Yeah, dude, I'm not going to Antarctica for sixty thousand dollars. You're outside of your mind, man. I mean, that's no bikinis. Crazy. I'm not going. That's right, man. Well, on uh, my side of things, it's been a uh, long couple weeks, guys. And for those of you looking for additional equipped and door videos, I apologize. Life has been kind of crazy here at the Francis household. Um, we have a very sick family member. Uh, I know I've told you guys a lot throughout the years, uh, you know, my relationship with my grandparents, my parents were super young when they had me. So I, you know, was uh, probably, you know, at my grandparents' house, either living with them or, or staying there if we were living someplace else, I, probably up until I was nine years old. And even then, every other weekend, every weekend we were out there when my parents were going to school and everything. And um, so the uh, kind of the matriarch of the family, she uh, was in the hospital. She actually just left the hospital yesterday. It was some serious stuff. Uh, she had, she went there because she had a heart attack, found out she had two. And uh, they wanted to do some surgery, that, but she was too frail, so they had to do a procedure, which she had about a 50-50 shot. And, and God bless her, she, uh, she, she made it through, and she's on the mend. Um, she's not totally out of the woods yet. It's still, it's still a long journey for her. But you know what, man? It's it's good. You know, we're everybody's happy that you know she she did what she did. So uh, I've been driving down to D.C. a lot for here recently. Missed some work, um, and uh, so she was uh, going to come actually moving with us. But my grandfather wants to wants to give it a go and see if she can stay at at their house. And you know, if they need additional help, they might move in with us. So it's been a, it's been a time. And Robbie, you you understand because you kind of went through this a few months ago. Um, yeah, very similar situation. I spent more time with my grandparents than I did my parents. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly how you feel. So it was, you know, we're we're you know, we're getting back to to normal normalcy, and then there's a lot of other stuff going on. So, yeah, man, there hasn't been much time to do anything but work and travel, and you know, you know, spend time with family. And you know, I, I a few people out there know and and send out all their prayers and everything. And thank you guys. It means a lot. And um, so we're, we're doing pretty well right now. We're going to go see her actually soon, soon as I finish recording this podcast. 
So, guys, I won't have time to chat afterwards. I apologize. Nothing. Fully nothing, understand. Nothing personal. <laughs> uh, but we did get to do some stuff uh, on the E2E side. And uh, for the for the, those of you guys on the website, um, and remember, guys, if you're not part of the website, sign up. Uh, very, very low price. I think you can sign up for like $8 a year, um, you know, 50 cents a day. And we, might even, we might even make it a little bit uh, less expensive than that. Uh, we have a new program that we'll be pushing out here soon. I'll let you guys know some more details here. But one very cool thing is, of course, we have the uh, the giveaway. You know, uh, we're, we're doing probably too much two weeks of giveaways uh, or I give away for, for two weeks, every few weeks. Um, I'm basically going through all of the knives and gear that I've had over the years that I've kind of accumulated and uh, kind of paint it forward and, and putting out a contest. And we have a really good way of doing it that's very inexpensive for everybody to join. But there's not a huge cost for us with uh, shipping. And that's always the biggest problem is, is to ship these things, especially international. We've had stuff that, you know... I've had guys win something in Australia, and it's like $40 a ship out there. So that, that becomes a problem. So basically through the Fair Play, uh, and if you have a Fair Play account through the Equipnor website, you're already squared away. But basically you can go in and, and click the link and basically uh, buy a raffle ticket that only costs a cent. It is still free, totally free to uh, join. You can actually mail in your your uh, your uh, your bid, but then course you got to pay 32 cents to mail it in so it just makes more sense to do electronically because that's 32 entries instead of one entry for the same price as a stamp and uh and what happens is we just uh fair play sends us a ups tracking thing and and we slap it on the box and hit a button and then all of a sudden you guys uh you guys uh, get it in the mail and we don't have to pay anything for shipping you guys don't have to pay anything for shipping and it, it really helps us out, and that way uh, we can get some gear out to people. And I'm pretty excited about this, man. I, I like the whole idea of pushing out gear. We've been giving away gear for God, six years now, um, and it's, I'm always happy to, to forward something out to somebody so they can enjoy it and use it and everything like that. Um, now, I will say uh, we are probably going to do a couple big giveaways here soon, too, so just stay tuned. Uh, right now we're giving away an Ontario Rat 5. And, Robbie, you, you really liked that blade back in the day. You liked it a little bit better than the Essie. RC5 because it wasn't as thick, and I threw a, a convex edge on that one as well. So if you want a big knife, a big camp knife, but at the same time you don't want a, a big camp knife that weighs a pound, um, it's not a bad blade. So. No, it's not. And you know, it's it, they've always had good heat treats, and and they've always, you know, been building with quality. So. Yeah. So we'll be pushing that out. Also, we have uh, a, some great video series coming from our friend James Montana over there in Taiwan. Uh, we're calling it the Bush Bum, the Jungle Bum series. That's We're, we're giving uh, James that, that handle. He's the Jungle Bum. Uh, some quick tip uh, jungle fire starters. Uh, one, we also had one where he's making a bamboo pot and cook kit, which, you know, I'm kind of jealous. I mean, bamboo... That was very cool. Yeah, bamboo is like the bane of, of anybody who, <laughs> who owns property because it's like a weed. I mean, like, um, you got to be really careful with that stuff because you can never get rid of it. You know, and a lot of people think it looks pretty and everything, but then after, you know, 10 or 15 years, the stuff is huge. Uh, it, it really becomes a problem. But it is so versatile, man. I mean, it is everywhere. Between, you know, bamboo and banana trees out in the jungle, you pretty much have everything you need. Um, so, yeah, James has been doing some really cool videos. He had the he had he has a couple of uh, plant identification videos and some, some uses. Um, and it's really cool, man. Like, not to say that we have, you know, that kind of uh, stuff over here, but... Uh, you know, if I ever get lost in the jungle, man, I definitely pick up some skills from James. Also, we got a really good series from Madison Parker for our Madison Mondays. 
uh, Madison's been making a bow. He he started out backing the bow with uh, with some snakeskin, and now he's uh, tailoring it and stringing his bow. So that's a long series. We have more of that that's coming out each Monday, and and uh, our Jungle Bums videos are coming out every Wednesday. So stay tuned on the the website for that, guys. Remember, it's very inexpensive, and jump on. And last but not least, I've been doing some interesting video with 550 Fire Cord, kind of showing the different uses you can do. And I've been kind of looking at it and, and updating my own kit. And, you know, you guys would think that I have 550 uh, Fire Cord everywhere, but I've actually not really... Uh, what's the term, Robbie? Get high on your own supply? Is that correct? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I, I've been trying to, you know, because it's such high demand and we're... And we're you know, we get sold out of stuff a lot early, so I just I don't want to take any away when then the customers get it first. But now I'm starting to try to rethink how I use my paracord and re-engineer fire kits in pretty much everywhere I would have paracord normally. So if, don't worry, Adam. I'll I'll get high on your supply for you. Well, that's the other problem. Every time I get some samples to play around with, these two guys show up and and rob me of all my stuff. So which reminds me, I need. <laughs> Well, you guys are welcome to come down, man. You guys are welcome to come down. We're we're gonna put out the the, the furniture on the deck here soon and do some barbecuing. So. Well, and there's uh, a little movie premiere coming up too. Oh yeah, you you, you down for Avengers, too, Dan? I I believe I am. Thursday, the, I think we're doing it Thursday, the thirtieth of April. There's a um, there's an off chance that Beth will actually let me out of the shop for two days in the same week. Yeah, so. man. Well, I'm off that Wednesday, Thursday, so I I do have to work Friday, but I'm not working until ten o'clock Friday night. All right. So if you want to come down Wednesday and we can hang out, do some videos, maybe go out for overnight or something, um, you know. Ah, the, see, then I could write it off. Then, it, then I'm not playing. I'm working, baby. I got, I got to go to a business meeting. That's right. That's right. We might be able to get a game or two off as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> when when is this? April 29th and 30th, I'm off. And the movie comes out here. They have a 7 p.m. viewing the day before it comes out. Well, they actually have a 7 p.m., a, a 9, 11, and a midnight showing. It's crazy. Okay, today is the 16th. You said that's the 29th yeah. and 30th, right? Yeah, yeah, so two weeks from today. Hmm. Come on down. I don't even know if I have transportation by then, dude. You might have to. We might have to get you a Amtrak. Amtrak, baby. <laughs> Amtrak. There you go. There you go. How, how Raleigh's got an international airport, right, Robbie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Hey, at this point, I can't even get to Raleigh. What are you talking about? <laughs> I have to find a taxi cab that'll come out in the we'll middle you, of nowhere. We'll get you a shuttle. Yeah. Uh, Frontier's got some pretty good uh, rates. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I really want to talk about the Avengers and everything. Actually, you know what? I want to make uh, a complaint. Right. Here, I want to make a complaint here real quick. I'm going to get in my soapbox. Okay, but I'm, before you go to sci-fi... Yeah. Save something for the second hour. This is still the gear conversation hour. Okay, okay. I just want to say one quick, one, one quick thing, and I'll let it go. I'm into some. I, I am into it. a wide plethora of nerdy stuff. You know, everything from, you know, you know, my comic book stuff you guys know about to guns. To even, I would even consider the outdoor stuff to be kind of nerdy. You know what I mean? Are you you're nerdist Maximus, man? I, I am. I, I have a, a plethora of, of of nerdy skill sets, and you know, everything from from painting to throwing up a hammock to to some very good shooting and everything. And I love my, my Batman. I love my DC comic stuff, you know. And I'm really excited about the Batman and Superman movie. But when it gets to the point that our movie trailers have trailers, that that's a problem. <laughs> you know, when you give a five-second trailer just showing Superman's costume and Batman's costume and five days away from the trailer, 
you know, we're getting we're getting a little, you know, uppity. All right, guys, it's it's a little much, you know. We're so, we're reaping what we sow. I, it's you know, I, and I, I'm so. And by I'm, we, I mean you. I'm I'm happy that the the geek culture is is at its pinnacle. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that. But I mean, come on, fellas, that's just getting downright stupid. You know, I mean, it's, the Batman costume still looked pretty badass. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'll, I'm going to try to stick in until they write Star Wars and Star Trek in with each other, and, <laughs> and then I'm done. Yeah, yeah. We're tearing the whole place down. Yeah, well, you know, it happens. It happens. So, all right, well, Robbie, uh, well, Dan, why don't you go ahead and you got some interesting conversations, some some stuff that the listeners want to listen to. They probably want to listen to about Asia Ultron as well, but we're going to go ahead and do some real stuff. So Guys, I don't want to forget our listeners' comments this, this well, week. Let's do, that, let's, let's do, do that, questions yeah, first. Yeah, let's do that first. Robbie, you want to go ahead and read them off? I can. Uh, Eric S., one of our listeners, writes in, Hey, Adam, Robbie, and Dan, I've been listening to your podcast and watching your videos for a few years now. Thank you for that, Eric. I have a few questions for you guys. First question. I've always been taught that if you can see green on a tree or signs that the tree is alive, then you should leave it alone and find another tree to cut down for firewood or whatever purpose you need it for. And in my honest opinion, that respect has been lost over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if I can get to the question aspect. Uh, are parents not teaching that they're to their kids anymore? I have two kids of my own, and they are being taught to respect the woods. I see it all the time from YouTubers going out in the woods and cutting down living trees to test a blade or a saw, and I'm curious what your opinions on the subject. I believe this is wrong if it's a living, uh, leave it alone. There are plenty of dead trees for everyone to cut down and or dead trees on the ground you can test your equipment on. He has a second question. Second question. I know you guys are advocates for axe over large knife, but me and my little brother are the opposite in our thinking. Not to start an argument or anything, I would like to know your opinions on very large knives, pretty much machetes on steroids. For example, I used the Zombie Tools Hooligan 18-inch blade, 3 inch thick, uh, with a weight forward design. I think it's a lot more fun to gather firewood with over an axe. Granted, we do get really weird looks on the trail. Uh, thank you guys for all your entertainment you provide to us. And uh, he's not talking about a survival situation here with the knife questions. Mm-hmm. Just talking about camping and relaxing, not life or death situation. Your friend, Eric. All right. Uh, do you want me to start, Robbie? Knock yourself out. Well, in regards to the living tree thing, um, I, yeah, I think that it, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, take down a living tree if you can take a dead tree down. But I will say that that is a little bit more complex because, you know, young sap, you know, trees, forests have stages of their development, like any other, you know, kind of organism. And there are situations where you have competing growths. So if you chop down one of the competing growths, that's probably not going to survive. I don't have such a, a big issue with it, especially if you need a younger, springier um, piece of green wood uh, when I'm doing my bushcraft stuff. And so it, it's it's like it's one of those things where I guess from an outside it looks like you're just you know killing something living, but in 
I don't even want to say in the tree world. I mean, those those two organisms are going to kill one another. You know, one of them is going to die. Um, two stunted trees have less value than one healthy tree. Exactly. Um, so if you don't know the difference, then don't chop it down. Um, and if you know the difference, well, then you can get away with it. Uh, the second thing is, if it's your property, and I, I used to um, stay on a piece of property where the owner wanted everything cut down but a certain type of tree. And so if it wasn't a oak, it, he wanted it down because he wanted oaks on that piece of property. I don't know why he wanted oaks on that piece of property. Um, so, you know, part of the thing, part of the reason that we camped there is because he didn't want to go down there and, and chop out every, all the oaks anyway. So his grandson's like, well, hey, you know, my grandfather, he hires people to go chop down anything that's out of oak. But if we if we chop down anything that's out of oak, he'll let us stay there for free. Uh, well, you know, that was another another different situation. Um so there, there's that. So it, it's a complex thing. I don't think it's as simple as never cut down a living thing. Um, but you do need to be mindful of whose property you're on and what, what they want and what, you know, um, is healthy for the environment. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's not – I don't think it's as easy as a do this or don't do this type of situation. I think it's a it's a more complex than people, people would say. But nine times out of ten, you are right. There is something that is – around there that you can go ahead and use for firewood and it's going to be better firewood anyway because something green doesn't burn very well at all i disagree with you you don't think that there's there's some there's better stuff Uh, wait i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm I'm just shocked robbie you're 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 disagreeing why don't i tell you what before i go off on my tangent Mm -hmm. uh dan do you you want to go oh no no you've already warned me that we're in a minefield i'm gonna go ahead and let you go off uh first of all environmental differences all this standing dead wood that I'm supposed to be cutting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have you been to the south? <laughs> uh, if it's dead, by the time it's you know by the time I find it, it's already rotting. You know we don't have standing dead wood like you guys up north have. Yeah, um, just don't happen. Um, too much humidity and too many high winds with hurricanes tornadoes and all that kind of stuff stuff is is gone it's obliterated um to your point about your property versus someone else's property if it's my property then i don't have to make any kind of uh justifications to anybody as to why i brought that tree down Mm -hmm. um that tree belongs to me that's why i paid for it um, if you want to protect that tree, you buy that property and let that tree live. And then, of course, to your point about the the uh, healthy growth, you know, a a uh, a stand that is too densely populated is an opportunity not only for one tree to choke out another, but also rampant uh, disease to take yeah. place. Uh, so. And then fire hazards. And then fire hazards. There, there is a a even on public land an important uh, aspect to maintaining the the health of the forest, and the you know going in and and taking out select uh, trees is a big part of that. I'm not I'm not sure about what part you're disagreeing with me on. Uh, the the part about it's always better to go cut something dead. You, you know, if I'm if I need a ridge pole, 
I can't have a rotten ridge pole. No, yeah, I'm talking about for firewood. But I guess yep. you don't you don't have firewood down there like we have it up here. Yeah, it, 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 immediately after it dies, it takes about six seconds to fall, and then once <laughs> it hits the ground, you got like fifteen twenty seconds before it gets soft and punky. Yeah, you're hoping it falls on your chainsaw. Yeah. Uh, because that's about the only way you're gonna get that first cut in before it starts to rot. Uh, but a lot of times, what I see people taking down in videos and stuff mm-hmm. isn't big enough for firewood anyway. It's shelter mm-hmm. building stuff and all that, you know, four inches or less. Uh, and in that case, if it's shelter building stuff, there's no way for me to find anything without going ahead and cutting something green. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. And I mean, where I live. Well, and the key is once you once you determine you got to cut something green, pick pick doing the least amount of damage. If you've got two saplings close to each other, and one is less healthy, one's crooked or whatever. Yeah, go ahead and take that one. Just like just like pruning a tree can be good for its health. Selectively taking stuff down, as long as you selectively take the right stuff down, is actually healthier for the environment. But also, like I said, back to my point, if they're doing this filming on their own land, they paid, they worked for the opportunity to be able to do with you know, their outdoor experience, whatever they wanted. Uh, no, if they're in the public eye, then they are subject to my opinions. And right. I should have absolute influence over what they do on their their own property. So I don't think he was, I don't think he was necessarily talking about the public thing, but I mean, yeah, I mean, to that point though, Robbie, yeah. is it is like if you go buy a piece of land, is it your right to cut it down? Well, yeah, absolutely. But that isn't just because it's your right doesn't mean necessarily it's. And I'm just and I'm just playing devil's advocate here. If I go buy you know a hundred thousand acres of prime national forest somehow, and then I just go burn it all down. Uh-huh. I mean, is it my right to do it? Yeah. Is it a good thing to do it? No. Why? You know? Why were you doing it? Yeah. Just, I, just to watch the world. That. Just to watch the world burn. I already know. See, and that's the thing. If you're, if I'm seeing this on video, you don't know why I just burnt down it. You know, it could yeah. be because I'm converting it to farm land to fix a problem it, that's it was present a- in that area of a certain type of. Uh, grain that's not available, and and the livestock industry is suffering by having to pay yeah, exorbitant you're, you're prices. You're, it you're was making an all-encompassing statement that, that says just because just because I own something, I have the right to destroy it. Yes, yes you yeah. have the right. You have the right to destroy it, but that doesn't mean that it's it is the right thing to do morally or ethically. Unless you know, it's a controlled burn to destroy a fungus bloom. Yeah, that's, that it's, yeah uh, and that's and that's fine. I'm just, I'm the, I, all I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's not good reasons to destroy it. I'm just saying that. Not every reason is a good reason. What I'm saying is being devil's advocate is Robbie's gig, so quit poaching. Okay, uh, well, I'm just, I'm just saying, if it ain't good, that's my problem. But Maybe. this was a moral question, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a moral question. So morally, morally, you are obligated to have the education to know which is the proper trees to prune, and then prune those trees is okay. Unless you're on your own property and then morally do with it what you want. In a moral way. And everybody needs to stay out of everybody else's business when it's their own property or, or their own footwear or their own cheeseburger or their own whatever. 
morally, if you want to really change the world, change what you do and quit wearing so damn much about start, everybody are else. Are you saying start with the man in the mirror? Oh, yeah, there you, you go. Oh, that ask, was neat. That was a, nice. A, ask him to make a change. That's right. Start with the man in the mirror. Bobby, you're just trying to get you're just trying to get me to pop off, aren't you? I was working at it, and you didn't yeah. take the doggone bait. I don't. Know. I was getting ready to, and then Adam started interfering with all that Michael Jackson lyrics. Philosophy. Hey man, watch yourself. Uh, Dan, do you have anything to add to it on your your side of it? Uh, not on the tree cutting thing. Well, okay. he's got the secondary question on the big knives versus axe and all, and I think there's a misconception in that question about us, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, I'm actually doing a video right now where I'm bringing out the the question that we have to ask and and discuss every year is the, the survival, outdoor, bushcraft, fieldcraft, whatever label that we give, like what, what kind of knives do we need? Uh, but Robbie, I'll let you go first on this one. Well, just to clear up the misconception, where I live, I prefer a machete over an axe. I get more use out of a machete than I do an axe where I live. Mm -hmm. um, so that ends that aspect of it for me. And when you um, come up to stay with me for a weekend. Or, or go up to my in-law's place in Michigan. Yeah. You know, an axe starts becoming more useful. I think both of y'all missed the single most important phrase in that question that answers itself. Zombie? No. <laughs> no. Um, where he says it's more fun for them to use a big chopper. Yeah. That's, that's the end of the question. If it's more fun for you to go out there and do it with a big zombie knife, there's no rules. I, you, I, you don't have to check the box. I didn't miss that, Dan. I just hadn't had a chance to re respond yet. Sure you didn't. I didn't. We can replay and we can you know listen to the audio and see that okay. I, I had not yet responded yet. Oh, okay. Uh, man, you're a little sensitive today. Am I sensitive, Dan? You am are. Am I taking your stick? Are you a little jealous? Well, actually, I guys, <laughs> actually, if if you guys want to be sticklers, I would like to know your opinions on very large knives, pretty much machetes on steroids. Okay. He is asking our opinions. Well, so, so I've had both shoulders reconstructed, so I find... We can build him better than he was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so especially in the area I'm in now, I find an axe more efficient and easier to carry uh, and just generally easier on my body. So for the area I'm in, I prefer an axe. Uh, if I go down to visit Robbie, then you know, it's machete territory. Um, well, I don't even think he's asking about machetes. My, my, are you, are you done, Dan? I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, I, I feel good. You know, I, I think, you know, like, like Dan said, if you want to have fun and go out there and swing a big axe, I mean a big machete, well then have at it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, I will say that there is, in my opinion, you know, it's not an effective and efficient use of your energy um, or the weight. But then again, I'm I have a different objective than you. There, I had my big knife go out there and chop things down phase uh, when I was you know twenty you know twenty years old and and it was fun and going out there and seeing what I could do with this big old back, jalopy blade. Back um, when you were wearing acid wash and pegging your jeans. That's right. Um, but that you know that time has kind of passed for me. 
and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying that. Oh, I'm I'm a grown up now. It's it comes down to kind of what Dan says. You know, when I get out there, I kind of want to chill and relax and not and not bust my butt on um, slinging around a big piece of steel. I want to go down there, and get the job done, and sit by the fire and have a cup of coffee. And when the sun goes down, ha- have a couple sips of uh, bourbon and and enjoy a pleasant conversation with my friends. A couple. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. So it, you know, it just that's just my style now it's not wrong it's not right it just is what i it it, it meets the objectives that i have when i go out in the field um with that said i do think there's there is some good utility for a big blade as as a camp blade or something like that i was talking about the bk9 on on a video that will probably come out later this week and uh and just saying hey it's a good blade but i've kind of moved away from that um the axe for me is when I when I I'm either going out to find something to take down, or it's stand, stand at the camp with where it's going to be there to split up firewood. It's not, you know, I'm not trekking with the axe, so that's kind of a different a different need as well. But I don't know. Just when you, I've just got to the point where if, I, what, if I'm here, I don't need anything bigger than a, a small five six inch blade in my axe. Now, yeah, if I go down to Robbie's, well then you know I'll probably throw a machete out you know into my vehicle. Um, and even and, when I went down, when, last time I was down there camping, we were in a we were in an area where we weren't doing that much trailblazing, so we didn't really need, even need a machete. So, Robbie? I would also like to point out, just for clarification, and I think I'm, I'm gonna say this: I think you two guys agree with me on this. There's there's a little bit of ambiguity, and there's a little bit of confusion. Ambiguity, on, uh, ambiguity. Maybe? There you go. On on the why term. you gotta be that guy, Adam? On the term uh, "big knife," he was he was trying really hard, Dan. <laughs> Help the special kid out, please. Yeah. Um, on the term "big knife," we talk against a big knife, but maybe we've been lax in our communications because we all three understand what we mean when yeah. we say it. I, I don't mean a long knife, and I don't even really mean a thick knife. I mean a knife that is too thick for its width for the grind to be practical. Yeah. I was about to say, I kind of do mean a thick knife. Well, it, you know, if you give me a knife that's a quarter inch thick, but the blade is six inches wide, that's a lot of real estate to go from one quarter to zero. Yeah, well, that's a cleaver. Hey, one man's cleaver is another man's knife, you know? <laughs> Fair um, point. But, but, but I'm just saying, and, and there you go again with terminology can confuse things. Uh I think what we all can universally agree on is what we're talking about is when a blade gets so thick for its width that you can no longer have really good edge geometry, mm-hmm. you're you're carrying wasted weight. You're carrying wasted blade steel because well, you can't you can't get the utility out of it. Well, and if you're trying to clean fish with a an 18 inch machete, so yeah. it, it can be as much the as long as the length and the width is appropriate to the job you're doing. Right. But both length and width can interfere with that. And and to to be also clear, for, at least from my perspective, that range, it's not an exact size. There's a range there. You know, yeah. you, it, and where a knife falls in that range is going to, you know, it, it will make a difference in in the amount of utility I can see in that that particular tool and by you know by association then also whether i find it a, a wise design or not or a wise choice or not 
Yeah. And uh, he said, what, uh, 3 16th inch thick on that blade? Yeah. Yeah, which uh, I would prefer not to swing a blade that big because it's going to be heavy. At and 18 inches long. Yeah. It's uh, 2 pounds and 3 ounces for that blade he referred to that uh, they enjoy using. Yeah, and as a young man, I would probably enjoy that as... An older guy with bad shoulders, it's not the right knife for me. But I, I might would enjoy it as long as somebody else toted it to camp, and I didn't have to. I didn't have to use it. It's That's true. The knife that the hooligan he's referring to is a full flat grind. It appears mm-hmm. with a small secondary, uh, you know, really interesting looking medieval type looking blade. It, it, it reminds like me it of like a, a hot light sword. Yeah, it looks like it would be a lot of fun. Yep. And if somebody else towed it to camp and said, "Here, play with that and go crazy," I probably would. You know, yeah. I, I yeah. probably would just enjoy the the snot out of playing with it. Uh, but if I was packing my own bag to go out there and had to tote it, there's probably for me other choices that would you know uh, yeah, I mean, be a wiser. wiser two pounds, choice. I can carry a lot of bourbon for two pounds. <laughs> yeah, we got priorities when we go out in the field, guys. <laughs> Steak and bourbon take take precedence. Yeah. Gosh, you know that steak and bourbon camp out podcast. That's what we need to. That's what we need to do. Yeah, but we need to start it before either one of those two items come out. Yeah. yeah. Cause then we get the sleepies. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know so, we. You know who we need to have for that is Chef Muss. There we go. Um, um, that, then I'd be even more worthless because I wouldn't even need to help with the steak or anything. It would just be. Dan, sit around and I, th- I think Local 3 has 136 varieties of bourbon stocked at the bar. Dan, was it you telling me, telling me about the the barbecued oysters? Uh, like oysters Rockefeller or like uh, steamed? No, like barbecued, like on a grill. Yeah. Um, was, it, was it you or was it my dad? It might have been my dad. I mean, I've done them before, again, like a, an oysters Rockefeller where you put some, some, like some bacon and some cheese – and then bake them, uh, bake them in the shell. On, mm-hmm. you know, bake them on the half shell, in the grill. Okay. Right. Yeah, but I can see us all in the field, all in the field doing that. So, well, that was a good question. Thank you very well, much for your question. We got one, one more question. Shoot it. And this is from Randy K. Okay. Um, I have a question that I hope one or all of you can answer or get feedback on. Question. Would using a hydration pack as a bug-out bag be a good idea or no? I have been using a tactical backpack as a bug-out bag, but I recently bought a hydration backpack that was on sale, and I thought, I can't use this. It is smaller, and you can't put that much in this. It's true, but I could use it to get home to get to my other bug-out bag or just a bag to get home. Please, any thought or info you gentlemen could give would be great. Robbie? Um, I'll start it short. Randy, first off, you didn't give us enough information on what bug out means to you, how far you're going, whether a bug out means you're leaving home and never coming back, or you're just going two miles through the woods to your uh, secret location where you already have other supplies packed. Also, the importance of water. We don't know what environment you're in. You know, where I live, having a hydration pack would be a lot different than if you lived in the desert. Uh, so, you know, there's aspects of environmental choices there that we can't speak to. 
We also don't know what your skill level is. Uh, you know, if we take somebody like, let's say my son, for example, at, at 11 years old, he would need a whole lot more gear to be able to survive any kind of long term out there than our friend Madison Parker, who trains Navy SEALs how to live off the land. Madison could go out there with just his underwear and a, a, a nice kitchen knife, and he'd have underwear, a new underwear and a pair of nail clippers. Yeah, he'd have a new civilization built inside of a week. So all those type of things go into answering your question. And uh, there wasn't really enough info in the question to address our questions that we would have for you. With that said, uh, you know, if you feel like that smaller bag doesn't have the capacity necessary to, to, to handle your ideas of a bug out, you have two options. One, use it for the short haul, like you mentioned. And number two, improve your skill set so that you can live off of what will fit in that smaller bag. Uh, and I guess there is a third option. eBay the heck out of that smaller bag, get your money back, and uh, find yourself something else you like better. I think I'm done. All right. Um, to piggyback on that, I mean, I, I've actually gone to a very smaller, I think, what is that, 12, 1,200 inches um, smaller EDC bag. Uh, my kit's pretty compact, but I also stage my kits in different parts. So I'll have, you know, a initial kit at home, initial kit in my vehicle to, to upgrade whatever I need if I was in a quote-unquote bug-out situation. But, of course, again, my definition of a bug-out situation might vary in, in regards to yours. Um, but th there, I know there's some good hydration packs out there that are, you know, like uh, that hydrate or die stuff that came out by Camel Pack. Is, they're, they're pretty squared away bags so i don't know if you're just talking about one of the simple ones that runners wear that's really small um that you can add onto a secondary kit or you're talking about one of these bags that that has hydration function you know like because like camel pack mother load that's a huge bag you know what i mean that's that's way bigger bad bag than i think robbie or i tend to use nowadays so yeah a little bit more information but i mean if it works for you it works for you and you know you can always do give it a test man Take it out in the field for a couple of days. See what you can pack in there and wear comfortably, or, or you, you can add a, a, you know, some other piece of equipment to it, um, you know, that's in your car that if you're just grabbing and dashing, that you can throw on, you know, some kind of like you know haversack or something they can use in conjunction with that. Um, yeah, I hate to interject on you, Adam, but just like you and I have been talking about a lot recently, putting your primary, most important stuff in your on your physical person in your pockets or maybe on your belt mm -hmm. and then using the bag uh for the additional stuff that's right that's right dan what what you got it, i really haven't left much to add uh yeah i i was going to start with you know what is bug out i i would need a clearer answer on what he's considering bugging out mm -hmm. um and then i would just continue to repeat everything y'all just said I'm glad we have you here, Dan. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm here for. Pay the bills and fill the dead air. There you go. <laughs> well, good question, though. Yeah, it, it was a good question. Uh, and you know, to your point, I would, I would love for him to go take it for a test run and then let us know how it did. Yeah. Send us a video. Hey, that would be a new concept, a video. 
Hey, we can you can share it on the E2E website with the whole gang. So, Robbie, do we have anything else, question-wise? That is our listener questions for this episode. Perfect. Uh, so this would be a good opportunity to tell everyone, send us more. Yeah, and send them to podcast at equippedindoor.com. And, you know, when we have consecutive episodes in a row, we'll, we'll get right on them. <laughs> oh, my goodness, guys. What's up? Adam, you just reminded me of something. What's that? I've got to rant real fast. Well, you got about... I'll give you eight minutes. Yeah, I won't take that long. Okay. You told everybody to send it to pod questions at podcast. Yeah. You know I received those emails, right? Yeah. You guys, will. I should have forwarded it to you guys before I deleted it, but I didn't. We actually got spammed at podcast for Equip to Endure by a matchmaking service and right. some chick wanting podcast at Equip to Endure to establish a relationship with her. She thought they would be a great <laughs> fit together and... And, and so, if if you're if the podcast at Equip to Endure email goes away, it's because it ran off with some lady named Janet and has established their life together and has a white you know picket fence house with two point five kids and a golden retriever now. You know, I always wondered if that how stable that podcast at EquipedIndoor dot com was. Yeah, you know, that's carrying spam a little too far. But you had something, Dan? Did you lose it? Uh, I edited it. <laughs> wow. Look, Robbie, he's growing up, man. I know. It's In a way, I'm proud, and in another way, it's sad. I can just remember when he was a, a little nothing running around screaming obscenities and drunk. Well, uh, some, things, some things change, some things don't. Now look at him. <laughs> now I, I just know. keep it all on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> now you're just needing, needing therapy like the rest of us. It's yeah. better that way. It, trust me, guys, it hadn't gone away. So what else did we have, fellas? Well, Dan's got some interesting story. We don't have much time, Dan, but let's jump. Let's jump into some of them. Let's go Pick to the, something you like, Dan. Let's go to the nuclear, nucle, nuclear, Easter egg hunt uh, in Georgia. Ah. Um, just off uh, Tybee Island uh, near Savannah. Um, a 1950s era, era fully functional nuclear uh, device was discovered by Canadian. Uh, tourists that were scuba diving. Those Canadians, always up in everybody's business. Uh, apparently, we need them for arms inspectors. Yeah. That <laughs> makes me so angry. <laughs> that they found it and you didn't? Do you know how many of my inventions would be right now changing the world if I had access to some, you know, nuclear power? <laughs> I keep telling you, you can get everything you want in Georgia. Yeah, plutonium. <laughs> Plutonium is so doggone hard to, to get your hands on around here. I mean, Walmart don't carry it. You, you, need, that, you need that 1.21 gigawatts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My flux capacitor is sitting here just going to waste. Yeah. Continue well, that, Dan. Uh, so the, the backstory story is there was a mid-air collision in the 50s with a standoff bomber. Mm-hmm. And it was determined that it would be safer for them to drop. You know, it wasn't armed to drop the payload uh, in the ocean before they crash-landed, mm-hmm. which they did, but no one was ever to f- able to find the nuclear device. So it's been a little-known s- or a poorly-kept secret on the Georgia coast for since the 50s that there was a, a nuclear warhead out there. And apparently these two divers, uh, one of them saw what he thought was an oil barrel and started digging around, he thought it was strange because it was bigger than an oil barrel, 
And then he saw an inspection plate that said Mark 15 thermonuclear bomb on it. Um, and apparently, uh, after cleaning out his wetsuit, uh, he called local authorities. And uh, after much uh, concern and consideration, a uh, team of SEALs went in and disarmed and removed it. Now you, but it you said at one point there was 50 agencies there on site? Yeah, I was looking for – I found a couple of reports, and I was looking for that one. But, yes, there was uh, – it took, I think, 24 or 48 hours to get it out. And part of that was a lot of negotiation over who exactly had authority over the site. <laughs> yeah, Adam, I'm surprised they didn't call you over there. Yeah, I know, right? And I, I have reason to believe that while everybody was de- debating who had authority – uh, DOD showed up with a couple of warships, pulled it out, and left. Nice. I'm paraphrasing there. I have no, uh, I have no proof. Nobody get angry at me, but how yeah, dare the, you, sir? The underground version I heard was uh, that he'd called nine one one, and you know, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine uh, how many bells, whistles, and whatnot went off. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm surprised. That, I mean. Knowing Department of Defense, they probably had a team of guys that was trained on that apparatus or that that piece of equipment. Um, yeah, you know, uh, that if they, ever, if they ever found it, I mean, knowing DOD, how they like to like you know stand by, hurry up and wait. They, they had probably had plans. A, yeah, they but, probably had they probably had contingencies for that finding that weapon. Well, working on st- uh, my understanding is some of the EOD training is is doing just that, disarming yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, at one point they had 20 ships and 1,500 men in the area. Let me tell you something. From a scuba diver's standpoint, I can tell you that if a civilian scuba diver found that thing, by the time anybody else got there, it had already been confirmed it was completely safe because we will play with anything we find <laughs> underwater. Well, and that's that's one of the things to keep in mind is this was uh, this was dropped somewhere around 1955 from a damaged aircraft and it sat in the bottom of the ocean for what, almost 60 years. Um, it was not leaking radiation. It never detonated. It, the, I mean, were they still, were they still prime with TNT back in the day? Um, I don't think so. Uh, you know, it takes a significant amount of explosive force to start the, Reaction. The chain reaction. Yeah. So I can't imagine something from the 50s that was mounted on a, uh, uh, what do they say? I think it was a saber that collided with, I'm trying to remember which type of bomber. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I imagine it was you know, at least something like Composition B or one of the, one of the plastic, one of the high explosives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was a 3.8 megaton bomb. Damn. From a diver's standpoint, I can promise you, he tapped on that thing with his dive knife, and I uh, tried to roll it around. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. he freely admitted that he was trying to dig it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a. Uh, uh, it was mounted on a B forty-seven uh, Stratojet. Did he get a reward for that? Um, it doesn't say. Yeah. All of all of his uh, cancer treatment for the exposure <laughs> to the uh, nuclear waste is is being footed by the. I doubt that it's, it's leaking it anything radioactive because, I mean, the, the technology is so sensitive nowadays. Well, that is a lot of water, though. Water does nah, a lot. 
If it were leaking, someone would have been able to find it. Yeah, that, yeah. that's where I was going uh, with. That's why they couldn't find it. I mean, there there have been plenty of people actively looking for it. They don't build them like they used to. No. <laughs> Nuclear weapons. They don't build them like they used to. That's right. Hmm, good find, Dan. Very good find. Any any other quick stories before we, we uh, wrap this one up, guys? Uh, we can tease people with uh, the new fifty caliber minigun. Oh, please do. Um, you know, we a couple episodes back, I debuted my new zombie apocalypse want vehicle, mm-hmm. and I have decided that the turret ring needs the new three barrel fifty caliber minigun that's out. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, you never know when I'm going to need to fire off uh, fifty caliber rounds at a thousand rounds a minute. I I will say I will be having some gun talk here soon. I just I just qualified at the range the other day, Robbie, and they made us watch this video about the sheriff's deputy. He was at a gun store and he's trying to pick up a new pistol. Had his duty weapon. Oh, on. I saw that. And he's putting his duty weapon back in his holster, and his zipper pull to his windbreaker got caught in the trigger guard, and caused an accidental discharge. Um, I mean, it, it was like just the the perfect circumstances. Like he put it in his holster and then he repositioned his jacket, and the jacket, the strap to the windbreaker, just caught the trigger just right on the Glock 23, and and uh, shot himself in the leg. Um, oh, that's different. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This was this was crazy, man. This is like, and uh, so this is uh, the third or fourth incident that this has happened um, re- recently. Recently. And you know you're 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 getting to a area where um, you know a lot of officers are wearing these kind of holsters and uh, you know these kind of jackets off duty. So we have five eleven jackets with all these zippers and pulls and all this other stuff. So our firearms guys are you know saying, hey, pull out these jackets, cut off all these straps. You know I wear a high jacket. Um, it was, it was a Baller. I think they used to make our stuff, but now we're going to the five elevens, and the five eleven jackets are lower, and they actually they actually cover up your duty gear. And so you have these zippers on the side that you zip up so you can expose your holster and everything. But I like those high jackets that don't go any lower than your navel, and all your gear is always exposed. And so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't turn mine in. So I'm, I'm keeping that jacket. I'm not messing with this other one. But I'm going to do a video. I'm actually thinking about Robbie changing my uh, off-duty carry for my Glock 23 to get in one of those XDs with the with the back safety just for that very reason. You know what I mean? I can't, I can't go back to a, a, a weapon that needs to have a manual safety. Right. Um, I need something built in, but at least with that, you know, that back safety with the XDs, it's it's better than just the trigger safety. So, Dan, what were you saying? Oh, uh, the the video I had seen was uh, it was a guy at a, a gun store and he was looking at a secondhand firearm. Yeah. And dry fired it to find out that it uh, it had been loaded. Really? Yeah. So it had been sitting on the sales counter. Best anybody can tell, somebody bought it and then put it back in the the sold section, and it was never cleared. Wow. So it was you know, someone very experienced with firearms. It was an off-duty deputy. And not necessarily mean he was very experienced. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. There was a, I mean, just the number of hands that that thing had gone through, and nobody had ever cleared it. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I, I don't. The, the first thing I do is I always clear a weapon, even if somebody, even if I just watched you clear it. I will pick it up and clear it myself, because I believe in magic. There can be that hey. magic. There can be that magic bullet in there that jumps in there and you know ruins my freaking life. No way. Man, I had a proud. I had a proud Papa moment. Uh, my uh, over the holidays, Dad, my 
my oldest went down to visit my parents and they, my dad took him quail hunting and dad thought he was going to be funny and palmed a shell back into a, an over and under and handed it to Jack and was going to try to bait him into an accidental discharge. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause he'd cleared the gun in front of Jack and then palmed a shell back into it and handed it to him and said, Oh, don't worry, son. It's, it's not loaded. And, uh, Jackson breaks it open, pulls out the shell, and hands it to him. And uh, apparently the the dog handler just lost it when uh, Jackson looked at my dad and said, uh, Granddad, my daddy says it doesn't matter if Jesus Christ himself hands you a fire gun. You check it every damn time. That's right. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Robbie, you had something. Oh, I was just going to comment on, on Dan's uh, uh, 50 caliber minigun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And say that, you know, if the character Mac in the movie Predator had had that instead of the minigun he had, that movie would have ended a whole lot sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they actually, uh, in the video, they show it mounted on a a technical. And it's it's just sick. (laughs) I imagine. Uh, You know, I've... I kind of feel like I've gotten to that point where I got the guns that I need. It's not that I don't like to play with guns. And if somebody gets a new toy, they're like, hey, man, you want to come out and shoot? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Um, go. Not... We'll go shoot. But it, like, some, to, to play with something like that once, I'd be down. I'd be, excited. As long I'd be as, excited about it. As long as I didn't have to clean it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jesus. I'm not to that uh, I, I've got everything I want and need standpoint since Glock just came out with the single stack mm-hmm. uh, 9mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I may have to have one of those, uh, and I'm going to say it's not for me, it's for my wife, uh, but I may have to have one of those. Have at it, my, my friend. I, I think it fills a niche. Yeah, yeah. I or it know. scratches a niche, one of the two, I'm not sure. It either hey, fills they... a niche or, or scratches a niche, but either way, I may need one. There's always a little room in the safe. <laughs> Well, you're on a whole different level, Dan. I can't, I can't ever keep up with with the way you you buy firearms. You're you're, you're the man. Uh, uh, actually, no. I, you slowed down a little bit. Well, it's partly that, and partly you got to remember, I've got you know three or four generations worth of collected firearms. Ah, uh, that's true. That's true. Now, I got stuff that my great grandfather had. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is. But I got a car. Uh, I've got a line on a Marlin Camp 45 that will be mine. <laughs> All right, guys, well, we're going to end it there. Uh, we get a little little bit extra this uh, episode. But you guys, uh, if you have any questions or comments, again, email us at podcast at equippedindoor.com. And make sure you guys check out the website at www.equippedindoor.com. Become a sponsor today. Join some great content on there from additional videos, articles, blogs. Of course, the uh, your personal profile where you can share your own videos and, and, and uh, photographs. And then, of course, our forums. And uh, it's springtime, so I know the self-directed learning stuff will uh, start going again. Those guys are awesome. And we'll talk to you guys here real soon. We'll be back next week. And, Robbie, anything else before we roll out? Send in those emails. There we go. All right, you guys take care. Be safe out there. And remember, if you're not always prepared, you're never prepared. Thanks. the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. 
Smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm and Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. 